Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you here as we are beginning a brand new series, as you can tell, that we're uh, going to be talking about money. The series called Money Talks. And let me just say that if you are a guest with us here this morning, if it's your first time here, thank you so much for being here. We're glad you're our guest. And uh, we oftentimes say that a new series is really the best opportunity to get a chance to check out our church. You get a chance to kind of engage in a series with us and learn a little bit about us. And so we're so thankful that you are our guest um, this morning as we start in this new series, um, this series called Money Talks. It's clear to see just from the introduction video that we showed uh, that money is something that is so unbelievably central in our society. Uh, we talk about money. There's images of money. There's, this is the theme about so many things in our society today. Our, our society is one um, that at the center of it in many ways is the conversation about money. In fact, you can tell a lot about a society in the way that they talk. Some of you guys may have heard this before, um, but there are some Eskimo and Inuit cultures that live in the northernmost parts of the world that are known to have several different words for uh, ice and snow. I'm sure you've probably heard this before. There's actually been some studies that have been done on this, and I'll just cite a couple references. Uh, but there's one particular Eskimo community that's found in Wales, Alaska, which if you know Wales, Alaska, it's the, I think the westernmost part um, of Alaska. It's uh, very, very far north, but apparently there's an Eskimo tribe that lives in that place, and it's documented that they have over 70 terms for ice. Talk about ice, because once again, you know, they live in this society. You can tell a lot about a society and the way that they talk. You can tell that ice is a very normal part of their daily lives, right? They live in Alaska. There's ice that lasts all year long. It's something that's pervasive around them, and so they have over 70 terms to talk about ice. So, for example, they have a term that refers to ice that lasts all year. Um, they have a word that talks about the patchwork ice that begins on the water before it freezes. Um, they have a word to talk about ice that has holes in it, kind of looks like Swiss cheese. They have over 70 terms to talk about ice. And why is that? Because you can tell a lot about a society and the way that they talk. Ice is a central part. It's a prominent part of their reality. There's another Inuit um, dialect that's spoken in Canada's Nunavik region, according to the same study. They said they have 53 different terms for snow. 53 different terms to talk about snow. Once again, it's because it's so central to their experience, so central to their reality, right? So they have a word for powdery snow, they have a word for wet snow. Now, of course, we who live here in Northeast Ohio, we have some words for snow too. Most of them include profanity. Um, but we don't have 53 of them, right? And, and why is that? Well, it's not as central of a part of our society. You could tell a lot about a society by what they say. So it should come to no shock to you, and I'm sure it doesn't, that in our culture today, arguably, there's over 150 words that we use for money. We talk about money a lot. It, it, it's something that's a normal conversation. We use over 150 different words to speak about money. Currency, cash, moolah, Benjamins, dead presidents, gravy, dough, bacon. Right? I don't know what's with the food metaphor, but we use that a lot. And over 150 words to talk about. Look, it's ice is to the Inuit as snow is to the Eskimo, money is to the American. It is so central to everything that we do. It is around us, and it's a conversation that's happening all around us. Money is on our minds. Money is a message that we hear in many different places. And let's just be honest, we get all kinds of mixed signals about it. We hear all different types of things. And so to one extent, on one extreme, we, we constantly are bombarded with messages about wise financial investment. 
And so we hear stuff like this all the time, that you need, to, you need to invest your money wisely. You need to store up a nest egg for yourself. You need to invest into a Roth IRA, find good investment strategies into a 401k, so that way you can develop something and you can retire early and rest for the rest of your life. We hear those messages all the time. Money magazines, articles, books written on this topic. But the other extreme, we constantly hear um, our society telling us to spend, 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 spend. And have nicer things and buy it now and pay for it later. And, and we're constantly hearing these different messages about what money is, about what money means, about the way that we should look at money. And it's just something that is in the center of our society. Now, isn't it interesting, though, that even though money is so prevalent and even though money is so central, that when we tend to bring up a conversation like this in the context of a church, that oftentimes we start pushing some buttons, And for some, let's just be honest, for some of you, you're like, I just came for a child dedication. I wasn't expecting a money talk. And and here we go again, church always talking about money, right? And it starts to hit a hot button for us. Even though it's something that we're talking about all the time, for some reason, we bring it into this room, it becomes something that's met with, for some of us, suspicion, for some of us, confusion, for some of us, skepticism, and quite honestly, for some of us, anger. And there might, there might be some of you that, that honestly, and I don't know if, it, if it's because of some of the irresponsible things that have been done in the name of God as it relates to this topic, which I'm not going to deny that. That is true. There is a lot of irresponsibility as it relates to religion and money, right? It could be because of an experience that you had in the past. I don't know what it is. But for some of us, man, when we start talking about this, your guard starts going up. But, but yet... The interesting thing that I found, and I'm sure you can probably agree with this, is that many of us, I take that back, most of us, if we really look at the primary source of anxiety, fear, insecurity, and relational tension, for many of us, it's found around this issue, the issue of money. How many of you right now in your marriage are are dealing with conflict of some type that's around this issue? That when you fight, at the top of the list of the things that you fight about, this meets, this kind of meets it somewhere on there. My guess is that for most of you, that's the case. In fact, there's been statistics that have been done on that. Money Magazine came out with a statistic. Over 1,000 married couples were interviewed. The number one thing that couples argued about more than anything, more than sex, more than what's for dinner, more than snoring, it is money, right? That is at the very, very top of the list. And, and, and my guess is that if you're a married person, you've experienced it. So let me just say this. When we did this series, I was going to let you in a, a little bit of a secret. The reason that we decided to do this series, the Money Talk series, and the reason we decided to do the series we just did, which if you're a guest, you might not know, we just, did, we just finished a three-part series called The Sex Talk. And so we did The Sex Talk and we did Money Talks. I'm just going to let you in a secret. The reason we decided to do these series is because what we're seeing in our counseling sessions what we're experiencing when we're having one-on-one conversations with people who go to our church. And what we're saying is if there are two places where people are blowing their life up and more susceptible to hurt and anxiety and fear and, and, and relational tensions, these are the two big ones, man. These are the two big ones. And so we said we need to bring these to light and we need to talk about these. As I mentioned, it's a source for some of us of marital tension, arguments about, I mean, you know, how much I should spend, where should we spend? Should we have separate accounts? Should we keep one account? Who should work? How often should we work? Should both of us work? You know, priorities about money, how we should invest it, how much should we make? Um, hidden spending has become sources of marital tension. Not just married people, not just married people. Today, our society in America faces an all-time record of crippling debt. My guess is that there are many of you who are in this room today and you face anxiety and fear 
around the issue of debt. In fact, I'll just give you a couple statistics to illuminate something that you already probably know. But today, student loans are at an all-time high. In fact, I just read an article by the Wall Street Journal, and they said this, that the article was called, Congratulations, Class of 2015. You're the most indebted ever for now. And this was the, uh, the statement that they said. They said the class of 2015, graduating class of 2015, is reaching new heights, though perhaps not in the way that it had hoped. The average class of 2015 graduate with a student loan debt will have to pay back a little more than $35,000. And so in 2015, the average graduate from the university today is walking out with a $35,000 bill that does not include the interest that they have to pay on that. It's at an all-time high. And not only that, it's not just student loans, it's also consumer debt. Consumer debt is at an all-time high among all age brackets, but especially with young adults. In fact, Time Magazine came out with an article recently, and they said this, I'll quote them, they said more than three-quarters of young people between 18 and 24, listen to this, spend more than they earn every month, every month. And so, listen, it's not just... It's not just school debt, it's also consumer debt. Time Magazine goes on to say between both of those different things, school debt and consumer debt, most young adults today will take their debt to the grave. They will never get out of it. And, and I'm just saying, some of us are feeling that. Crippling debt in our lives, financial issues that relate to that. Marital conflict, debt, for some of us, this is the source of some of our biggest relational conflicts that we're facing in life. For some of you right now in your family, there's tension and it has something to do with this. Maybe it's an inheritance argument over who gets what and, and, and there's tension that exists because of this. Maybe there was something that happened in the past financially and because of that, there's, an, it, there, there's a, a difference that cannot be reconciled between you. This has the ability to destroy, for some of us in our relationships, our friendships have been tainted and destroyed because of this issue whether it be because we went in business together and then something happened financially and now we are at odds with each other or we decided to go into an investment strategy together and that went south or we went in business together but then something happened financially and now our relationship is destroyed. And look, I could just go on and on and on. I don't think I need to prove to you what you already know that this is a very, very, very serious issue and that for many of us, the source of some of our greatest anxiety, some of our greatest fear, some of our greatest insecurity, and some of our greatest relational problems that we're facing and tensions are include and are centered around money. And so it's no wonder then, is it, that our Heavenly Father who cares about us so much in the Bible talks about money so frequently. In fact, I don't know if you guys know this, man. The Bible talks about money all the time. In the Old Testament, um, there's a man named Solomon. He was known to be the wisest king of all time, king of Israel. And he wrote a book called the book of Proverbs. And the entire reason he wrote that book was to impart wisdom to his son. He says, buddy, I want you to do well in life. So I'm going to write this book of, of sayings to you that will guide you. There'll be wise principles. And guess what two topics Solomon deals with the most in the book of Proverbs? Can you guess? Sex and money. He says, buddy, listen, I've been through life, dude. Let me just tell you, if there's two places that there are more pitfalls where there's more potential for you to either blow up your life or waste your life, it's here. Sex and money. He also says, but there's also unbelievable potential, unbelievable potential for flourishing and, and life giving peace in these areas. God has that in store for you. But man, I'm telling you, there is disaster if you're not careful. Solomon writes about that. Jesus Jesus talks, I cannot emphasize to you how much Jesus talks about money. In fact, one commentator points out that Jesus talks more about money than he does about heaven and hell combined. Jesus gave about 39 parables, about a third of them are about money. 
In the Gospel of Luke alone, it's estimated that on average, one in seven verses in the book of Luke is about money. Why is it that Jesus talks to us? We might be getting nervous and it might touch a, 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 a button in our life we don't want to touch when we talk about money. Jesus is not embarrassed to bring this up. He brings it up all the time. Why is that? See, I think it's because Jesus knows something about money. He knows that there's something more about money and I think he wants us to know that. I think Jesus knows that this is an area that for many of us, there is, serious, there is a serious temptation that we can really hurt ourselves, that we can really harm ourselves, that there's so much opportunity to waste our life or to blow up our life in this area. And Jesus knows something else, and we're gonna find this out today. Jesus knows that for many of us, we don't even know that it's happening, that this is deceitful, it is sneaky. And so Jesus is like bringing it up all the time. And so today what I want to do is I actually want to show you one passage where Jesus, as he usually does, brings up the conversation about money. He's got some incredible insight that I think is going to serve as an awesome introduction for this series. So if you guys got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to grab those with me. Take them. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Okay, so Luke 12 is where we're going to go this morning. And you can go ahead and flip there if you want to. And uh, let me just say that if you did not bring a Bible with you today, that is not a problem at all. We should have some for you in those chairs. So you can just grab one of those Bibles in the chairs and you go ahead and uh, turn to page 727 in those Bibles that we have for you, okay? And uh, you can also, if you want to, uh, if you have a phone or a device of some type, a tablet, you can get onto our Wi-Fi. You can download the Grace Church app and you can access a Bible through the Grace Church app as well. There should be some information in your program about that if you want to. And I'll also just say this. If you are a guest with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, like you just flat out don't have one, you could just do me a favor. Would you just take one of ours? Just take one. Make it a gift from us to you uh, because we think it's really, really important that you have a Bible. Okay, so Luke 12, go ahead and get there. And if you're still flipping, let me just give you a small amount of context to kind of set up the passage we're about to read. So in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus start his ministry. He's going around preaching, teaching, healing people. And as he does this, he begins gaining a pretty strong reputation. And so by the time we get to Luke chapter 12, the Bible says that he has accumulated such a large crowd that the people are literally trampling over each other to come hear Jesus. Okay. So, so at this point he has grown in his popularity and he has grown in his authority. People are coming to listen to him like crazy. This was sort of the peak of his popularity. And so Jesus is, is, is talking, and the Bible's telling us that as he's addressing this large crowd, he's talking to this large group of people, we're going to see that there's a guy that comes up to Jesus and sort of interrupts him. And, and, and what does he have to say? Well, let's take a look at this together. We're going to start in verse 13. So verse 13. Someone in the crowd, so remember a huge crowd, someone in the crowd came up to Jesus, teacher, he said, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. All right, so let's just pause there for a minute. Just one verse in. Let's stop for a second. So here's what's going on. Jesus is teaching this big crowd. Bible says a guy comes up to Jesus. Now, we don't know his name. We don't know anything about him because the Bible never tells us anything else about him except that he's someone. So someone comes up to Jesus. Apparently, he doesn't know Jesus. Apparently, Jesus doesn't really know him. He comes up and notice, if you notice that, what he says in that passage, he does not come to Jesus with a question. No, no, no. He comes to Jesus with a demand, right? He says, hey, Jesus, teacher, Tell my brother to split the inheritance with me, right? It's like, Jesus, I know you don't know me or my situation, and I don't really know you, but could you just tell my brother to do the thing that I was telling him? Could you just go ahead and just tell him? 
Just do that for me real quick, right? Now, what's going on here? What's going on here? Well, I think here's what's going on. I think this guy probably in his mind is thinking, man, Jesus is powerful. Jesus has a lot of authority. Um, Jesus' words carry a lot of credibility. And so he's probably thinking to himself, man, if I can just get Jesus to endorse me, if I can just get like, you know, a Jesus stamp on like, you know, my, my little initiative to get my inheritance from my brother, if I can get Jesus on my side, then my brother will listen to me and I'll get the money that I want, right? That's what, that's what I'm going to do. And, 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 and listen, this is interesting because Jesus, of course, because he's Jesus, he can see right through this. But my guess is that you and I, we can see right through this as well. I know this is just one verse, but I think that it really represents a tendency that happens in the heart of a person who follows Jesus. And I know not everyone in this room follows Jesus, but for those of us who do, doesn't this represent a tendency that we often have? And here's the tendency. The tendency that we can sometimes have is that Jesus will give me what I want. That if I follow Jesus, if I give my life to Jesus, then that means that he's gonna make me rich. That means he's gonna give me money. That means he's gonna make me healthy. That means that somehow I'm going to be granted immunity from suffering and hardship in this life. And that's, listen, there's an entire school of thinking that is representative in this, in this tendency. And I think for those of us who follow Christ, we see this tendency. And basically what it's saying is this, and Jesus says, this is dangerous. And the danger is this. The danger is that you're coming to Jesus now, not because he's the object of your desire, you're coming to Jesus because you somewhere in your mind believe that Jesus is going to give you the object of your desire. You're not coming to him because he's the object of your affection. You're coming to him because you believe that he's going to give you the object of your affection. In this case, for this man, it's money. Jesus says, be careful. That's the dangerous thing. And I see that it's a tendency sometimes that even those of us who follow Christ in this room have. It's a tendency I see in my own heart. It could be disillusioning, can it be? Because when, when, we, when we find ourselves in a position when our financial situation is in jeopardy, or we find ourselves in a situation where we're not healthy, when our dog didn't come back from running away from home, right? When my hair didn't grow back, suddenly we think, oh my gosh, God must not love me, right? I must be doing something wrong. And, and, and that's not the case at all. This is the tendency that we can have in our hearts. And I'll be honest, it's a tendency I see in my own heart. It's a tendency that I actually can see in my kids sometimes. I think it's just part of human nature. Let's give you a little story on this. So about a month ago, I celebrated a birthday about a month ago, and my wife did something kind of cool. She um, had my kids. I have two little boys. I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old, and she let them pick out a gift for me, like at the dollar store or something. And so it came time to open my gifts on my birthday, and she, you know they came out with a, a gift bag and those kind of things. And guess what my oldest son got? This is so awesome. Guess what my oldest son got me for my birthday, picked out at the dollar store? He got me a shield. Okay, like a toy shield. So I, I opened the bag and I pulled it out. I was like, oh, a shield. Just what I needed, buddy. You know, thank you so much for this, this shield. And he's like, yeah, I thought you'd like it. I'm like, yeah. And the first thing he did when I opened it, this is so cool. He grabbed it out of my hand and he started running around the house and he got his sword because he had a sword, but he didn't have a shield. So you see where this is going? <laughs> and so he's running around the house with his, shore, his sword and my shield. And he's like running around with it. And I go, I go, buddy, I go, hey, uh, He's like, I thought you got me a shield. Isn't that my shield for my birthday? And he goes, well, we can share it, right, Dad? We can share it. And I was like, uh, I, I guess so. Happy birthday to you, I guess, you know. And I'm like, thank you for getting you a, birth, uh, a shield for my birthday. I appreciate that. You know, I can see right through it. And it's cute when, you know, when you're six. But the truth is that I think for many of us, sometimes we come to Jesus, it's the same thing. 
And, and Jesus can see right through us. He says, you're coming to me not because I'm the source of your desire, not because I'm the object of your affection. You're coming to me because you think I'm going to give you the object of your affection. In this case, for this guy, it's money. And Jesus says, now be careful with that. Watch what Jesus says to him as a loving father. He says to him in verse 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? And then he said to him, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Man, I love what Jesus says here. Jesus looks at this guy and he says, listen, buddy, I, I am not the arbiter between you and this guy you and your brother. I, have, I don't know anything about the situation. I'm not the one to judge that. But then he looks at him and he says, but listen, buddy, you need to be on guard. You need to be careful because there's something happening in your heart and you might, you might not even see it, but there's something happening in your heart and I need to warn you about that. And so Jesus calls him out. He says, man, listen, listen, the fact that you're coming to me, not because I'm the object of your desire, but because you want me to give you the object of your desire is unhealthy. It's unhealthy. And so then Jesus, to, to make the point even more clear, he goes on to give a parable. Now, he's always doing this, right? He's always telling stories to help kind of explain spiritual realities. And so here's what Jesus says in this parable. He starts a parable in verse 16. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And so he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And then I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. All right, so let me just pause there for a minute. So here's Jesus' parable. He said, let me tell you guys a story. He's always doing this. Big crowd, big crowd. So all right, guys, once upon a time, there was a rich man. Apparently he was a farmer. And he says, and so he, he was so rich that he actually had barns full of extra grain. He had a bunch of treasure. And then one day he faced, he found himself in a dilemma. And let's just face it. This is a dilemma that he was facing a problem that many of us wish that we had. He said, "Uh Oh, I have more than I know what to do with. I have an abundance of wealth and I don't know what to do with it. And so what does he do? He says, well, I think I better have a meeting about this. And so do you notice what he does? He decides that he's going to have a conversation with who do you notice himself? He's like, let me go talk to me about this. I'm going to have a little meeting, get myself together. And he's like, so what should we do about this? What should we do? He's like, I got it. I got it. I'm going to tear down my, those other barns that I had. I'm going to build some bigger barns for myself. I'm going to fill those up. And then when I'm done filling those up, he's like, then I'm going to take life easy. Retire early. No more work for me. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry and enjoy the rest of my life. And he's like, that's the plan. Awesome plan. Now, at this point, I got to be thinking that with a crowd this size, as Jesus is teaching to them, that most of them were probably thinking to themselves, yeah, man, that sounds awesome. Man, can you imagine that not working? That sounds awesome. Retiring early, having everything that you need. My guess is they probably heard that and said, yeah, that's what we want. That's what we want. That sounds awesome. That guy sounds like he had life figured out. That guy sounds like he was really, really, really wise. And in fact, not only this audience, but let's just face it, our audience, right? If you picked this guy up and you took him out of this culture and you placed him here in American culture, guess what we would do? We'd say, man, look at that guy. He's so wise. He fulfilled the American dream. 
He got what he needed. This is the kind of guy that would be writing articles in business magazines. This would be the guy who'd be writing a book about how to build bigger barns and store more grain. It would be number one on the New York Times bestseller list because we'd all want to read it. We don't want to figure out how do we do what he did. We would look at him and we'd say, man, he's so wise. He's so wise. He's so wise. But then God comes in and says something that would have been so surprising to his hearers and quite honestly, so surprising to us. Look at what he says, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night, your life is going to be demanded from you. And then who is going to get what you have prepared for yourself? Everyone's going, you're so wise. You're so wise. We're looking at this guy saying, man, that's exactly it. You got to you retired early. You have plenty to live off of. You're doing wonder. You're doing awesome, man. It's so great. We're so wise. And God says, you're a fool. God's assessment of the situation is drastically different. And he looks at him and he says, this very night, this very night, your life is going to be demanded of you, which by the way, is the reality that every single one of us will one day have to face. One day that demand will be made of every one of us. Our life will be demanded of us. And then he asks them, and then who's going to get all that stuff that you stored up for yourself? And the answer, by the way, is somebody else. Someone else is going to get it because where you're going, you can't take that. That can't come with you. So Jesus looks at him and he says, man, you're a fool. You fool is what God says to him. Now, I think I need to stop there and I need to talk about a second tendency that sometimes happens with Christians that I think is equally and oppositely dangerous from the previous tension. So I mentioned to you that there's a tendency that Christians sometimes have that says, if I'm a godly person, that means I'll be rich. God's going to make me wealthy. God's going to make me healthy. God's going to make me successful. And we said, that's really kind of an unhealthy tendency. And that's never what Jesus says. But there is another tendency. The pendulum swings over to this side where Christians will sometimes say, see, see that passage right there. That means that God hates money. God hates money. God hates rich people. And so if you're rich, God hates you, right? And that, that's the way it works. Money is evil. Money is terrible. And so we just need to renounce wealth. We do live a lifestyle of radical asceticism, drop your savings account, drop your investments, sell everything you have, give everything you have away. Don't provide for your family. Just trust God to do that. And all we're going to do is sit over here, make our own clothes and eat baked beans out of a can and sleep in a drawer for Jesus, right? Because that's what God wants because money is evil. Now, I'm just telling you, that is, a, that is an extreme, and it is dangerous because that's not what the Bible teaches. So the Bible has a lot, you know, the Bible has a lot to teach us about good financial management, great principles about saving, about investing. The Bible talks about that. The Bible talks about hard work, how important that is to God. The Bible talks about how providing for your family is something that God wants us to. In fact, do you know the book of Thessalonians says this? He says that if a man does not provide for his family, or if a person doesn't provide for their family and they consider themselves a Christian, they are worse off than a non-believer. That's what it says in Thessalonians. He also says in Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. And, and so let's just get this straight. The Bible's not anti-good financial management at all. The Bible never in one place says that money is evil. Money is not evil. Money is not moral. Money is not immoral. Money is amoral. And here's how I know that. Here's how I know that money is not evil. Here's just one way. Why would God ask us to give it to the poor if it was evil, right? He doesn't do that with anything else. It's not like, like this is kind of a crude analogy, but if you struggled with like pornography, God wouldn't be like, oh, that's a terrible thing, man. Give it to the poor, right? Just, yeah, 
You have illegal weapons? Ah, give them to the poor, right? God doesn't say that, right? Why? Because that would be wicked. That would be evil. Those are evil things. And so money isn't evil. Money isn't moral. Money isn't immoral. Money is amoral. And so the issue is not this, not how much you have or how little you have. That has nothing to do with godliness. Nothing to do with godliness. So the question then becomes this then. Well, then why is God calling him a fool then? If God doesn't hate his money, if God doesn't think money is evil, then why is he calling him a fool? I think that he actually gives us some clarity on this. If you look verse 21, he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. Look at this little statement. This is powerful, but is not rich towards God. Not rich towards God. What does that even mean? What an interesting little phrase. And maybe, I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. What an interesting little phrase. My guess is that probably you have questions and thoughts that come to your mind when you read that. But basically God is saying here, he's saying, listen, it doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have. That is not the issue. That has very little to do with godliness. He says the real issue is what you do with it. And so he says, listen, you've been spending all your time storing up treasures for yourself. I don't know if you noticed in this parable, but it seems that over and over again in this parable, there is me, I, I, me. I need to build bigger barns for me. I, me, I, me. Then he has a meeting about what he should do with his money. And guess who he talks to? Himself. And Jesus says, you're a fool. You're a fool because you have a shelf life. And your life is now demanded from you. And all of your investments are now gone. And so God says, you're a fool. And he says, you should have been rich towards God. Now, I know, once again, that brings up questions and thoughts about what does that mean. But let me just tell you, this is why I want to encourage you to come back. Because I think that this is such a powerful, powerful principle of being rich towards God. That my prayer is that this whole series, that we can unpack what that means. What does God mean when he says that we should be rich towards God? Now, I know for some of you, when I say that, you're like, oh, I see what you're doing, man. I know what this is now. This is just a big financial push, you know. And you're going to, at the end, you're going to, you know, make me fill out a card and ask me to give money to the church. I see what you're doing. And uh, let me just say that's not what we're doing. In fact, I don't care about any of that. It has nothing to do with it. This is not some financial initiative. We're not going to ask you to donate any money to the church. It has nothing to do with it, all right? But I believe that if we can get a hold of what it means to be rich towards God, if you can really get that, for some of us, you're going to be surprised. It might mean something that you had no idea what she meant. But I believe that if you do that, what you're going to find out is that God doesn't really want your money. God wants you to be free. The anxiety you feel around this topic, the tension you feel around this topic, the relational frustrations, the worry that you have, how would you like to be free from that? That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be free. And the pathway towards that is to experience richness towards God. And I want to unpack what that means over the next couple of weeks. Now, as I said, this is an intro. And so there's some things in this conversation that are gonna be left undone, and that's because it's an intro. And we're gonna finish it. But I wanna end with just one practical point that Jesus makes in this passage, and then one practical application as a way of introduction. Okay, and it's for everyone in this room, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not, I wanna give us one practical 
application from one practical point. So at the end of this conversation that Jesus has with the crowd, the Bible says he turns to his disciples, and as he turns to his disciples, he summarizes everything that he says in one little statement. And this statement is so profound, it's so popular, many of you have probably heard it, but it is so profound, I want you to see what Jesus says. This is awesome. Look at verse 34. Jesus says, he concludes, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, even if you don't believe in Jesus, even if you're a person that's like, I don't think he rose from the dead and I can't really accept that he was the son of God and I'm not really sure what I think about all that. My guess is you can probably, if you think about it, at least agree with him on this. This is an unbelievably profound thing that Jesus is saying. Because listen, here's what you, this is so awesome. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, your money issue, your money anxiety, that fight you're having in your marriage about money, it's not really about money. It's not really about money. Money exposes it, but it's not about money, is it? And man, is that true? Isn't that true? Listen, your desire to have more money accumulated for yourself in your savings account and your investments, if you think about it, really, it ain't about money, is it? It's not really about money. It's about something deeper. It's about something that's happening into your heart and your money is talking. And your money is telling you something about your heart. And what's it telling me? It's telling me something about where I find security. It's telling me something about where I find my value. It's telling me something about where I find validity. My money talks. Your marriage issue, the, the, the financial one that you keep fighting about over and over again. If you think about it, it's not about money, is it? It includes money, but it's not about money. It's usually about something much deeper than that. It's about values. It's about priorities. It's about issues of trust. That's what's really happening. That's the heart of the issue. Money is just talking about it. Money is exposing it. Our money talks. And what Jesus says here is so profound because he says, listen, the language of your heart, the the language of my heart and your heart is our treasure. It's our money. Our heart speaks a language. And the language that our, that, our, that our heart speaks, honestly, is money. This is so profound because you guys think about it. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says something really fascinating. I'll read this to you. Jeremiah 17, 9, he says this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is beyond cure. Who can understand it? So Jer- Jeremiah says, man, you know what? Our hearts, man, they're deceitful. They're really hard to understand. It seems like they're so untrustworthy. It seems like they're so fickle. They're always changing. Our hearts are just crazy. Who can understand it? And then Jesus comes along and he says, I can tell you how you can understand it because it talks. Your, your heart speaks a language. And, he, and everyone's like, well, what is it? What's the language of the heart? He's like, it's your money. It's your treasure. So you guys, we live in a culture today where we talk all the time about our hearts, don't we? My heart. I just want to share my heart. I just want to have a heart-to-heart. I just want to wear my heart on my sleeve. Right? I want to write you a song. I just want to pour out my heart, baby. Right? My heart. We talk about our heart all the time. See, but we, I, think, I think for some of us, we have misunderstood our heart, or at least we've misunderstood its language. Because for some of us, we believe that the language of our hearts is our words. That what I say is in my heart is what's in my heart. But that's not true. That's not true. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15 to a group of people, he says, listen, you have honored me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Why can he say that? Here's why Jesus can say that. Because he knows that the language of our hearts is not our words. You can say something about your heart, but if your treasure says something different, if your money says something different, you've been deceived. If you're like, this is my priority 
this is the main thing in my life. This is what I'm passionate about. And you're saying that with your lips, but then you go back and you look at your money and, and it doesn't line up. You've been deceived because the language of your heart is your mind. It's no wonder Jesus is talking about this all the time, is it? Jesus knew a direct line to our heart. That's why he talks about this all the time. He's like, look, I just want to get to the heart of the issue. So let me just take a shortcut. Let's talk about your money because that's how we get there. That's how we get to your heart because your, your words aren't the language of your heart. We think that emotions are the language of our heart. This is how I feel. This is how I feel. I just want to tell you my heart. Let me explain to you how I feel. But we all know that emotions ebb and flow. They rise and fall. They come and go. They are so unreliable. And so God says, it doesn't matter how you feel. Your feelings don't speak the language of your heart. Your money does, and your money doesn't lie. You want to know your heart? Follow the money. It's going to tell you something about your heart that you didn't know. It is the language that our, God has built in a gauge. It's almost like a check engine light to know how your heart is doing. And it's found in your money. Your money's the language of your heart. So very practical. Let me give you a one challenge. Okay. And I, I quadruple dog dare you to do this. That's serious business. That's four dogs. All right. Quadruple. All right. Quadruple dog dare. And everybody. Everyone, I challenge you to do this, okay? Whatever stage of life you are, if you're married with your spouse, if you're single by yourself, if you're, if you're in high school, middle school, wherever you are, I'm gonna challenge you to do this, okay? This week, and this might be easier for some of you than others because you might already be doing this, I want you to literally track every single penny that you are spending, every single penny. And here's why, because I want you to listen to your money and ask, what is it saying? What's my money saying to me? Track every single penny. Now, for some of you, like I said, you're already doing this. And so maybe you have a budget, maybe you have Quicken, maybe you have software and you're using that right now in some way to kind of track this stuff. And if that's the case, that's awesome. For some of you, this is a brand new principle and you're like, I've never done anything like that. That sounds crazy to me. And if that's the case, we've actually included um, in your program just a simple uh, um, uh, money tracker. You can use that, or if you want to use a program on your phone or whatever, please do that. But let me just say, let me just challenge you real quick, okay? If you take me up on this, and I know not everyone's going to, but if you take me up on the quadruple dare and you do this, all right, I want to make another challenge to you, and that's this. Don't simply go and check your credit card statement at the end of the month or the end of the week, okay? Don't just do that because here's why. I think there's so much value in literally writing or typing or inserting that number into something because when you do it, you feel it. And when you feel it, it says something to you. I'll just tell you, this is something my wife and I have been doing for um, years now. We've been tracking every single penny that we spend. And so Monday nights, I have it on my calendar. I'm supposed to go and, 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 re and insert every receipt from everything that I've spent into our budget. And so I literally will type in the receipts into the computer. And can I just tell you that there are times that I am typing receipts in and I'm like, I don't want to type that in. And, and why? I'm like, I don't want to type that in. Why? Because it says something honest that I don't want to deal with, right? And what is it telling me? It's telling me something about my heart. And what's it telling me about my heart? That I really like five guys. <laughs> and I don't want to type that in. It's the third time this week, you know? And, and, and listen, here's why I love it so, here's why I love it so much. Because it's honest, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm a, I'm a, you know, I don't feel like I'm an extravagant person who just, you know, seeks pleasure all the time. And I'm like, oh yeah, is that what I'm saying with my lips? What's my money saying? Something totally different than what my lips are saying. 
And, and I love it because it tells us what our hearts want to challenge you to do. That. I also want to challenge you this. If you track your money this week and you find yourself not buying things that you normally would because you're tracking your money, ask the question, why? Why am I not? What does this say about my heart, right? And I'm just saying, would you listen to your money? Would you listen to it and just ask the question, what is it saying? And then at the end of the week, I'm going to challenge you to come back. You don't need to bring it with you. No one's going to inspect it. But I just want you to come back with it, and I want you to prayerfully interact with your spouse, if you're married, with God. And would you ask him, Lord, Lord, honestly, where's my heart? Not what do I think my priorities, not what do I say, what are my priorities, not what I, what, what is my heart? This is the gauge that you have given. This is the language that my heart speaks. And so I need to look at it honestly. I need to let it do that. So would you do that? Listen to your money and come back and we'll talk about what it means to be rich towards God. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to say thank you that you've given us a direct line to know our hearts that this is not a mystery. It doesn't have to be a mystery. You've actually given us something concrete. You've given us something that's tangible. You've given us something that we can look at and inspect. And I'm thankful for it, God. And so I pray that as we go from this place, Jesus, help us to, 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 to be able to listen to what our money says. Help us to be honest enough to look in the mirror and to say, man, you know, what, where's my heart really at here? Where's my heart really at? Father, I pray that, uh, that as we do that and as we dig into this exercise together this week, Father, that your spirit would help us learn what it means to have a vision for money that you have for us. The reality is, Jesus, that many of us are enslaved and we don't even know it. The anxiety, the guilt, the, the, the fear, the insecurity, the tensions that we have in relationships because of this. God, we want to be free. We want to be free. And I know that you have the answers of how to get free. So Father, let your people go. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.